Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word, together as a community. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in Zechariah chapters 7 through 8 with an episode entitled Faithfulness and Restoration. Chapters 7 and 8 provide a warning and a call to faithfulness leading into the promises of restoration for those who are faithful. This is going to be the main thread that we're going to be following throughout these two chapters. And within the context of the book as a whole, chapters 7 and 8 provide a conclusion to the sort of explanation for the visions that we saw in the previous six chapters. So we see the familiar call to repentance and faithfulness. We will see God rebuilding and restoring Jerusalem. As we dive into these chapters, I want to explore the main thread by asking some questions. So the first question that we're going to ask is, what does true obedience look like? Now within this first question, we have to assume that there are two types of obedience. At least, right? There is true obedience leading to faithfulness, and there is ritual obedience leading to, as we will see, disobedience and unfaithfulness. So we're going to need to jump into verses 1 through 3 and see this played out. So this will kind of set up what we're talking about here. It says, in the fourth year of King Darius. Now, in the first six chapters, we were in the second year of King Darius. So fast forward two years, this is where we are. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Shalev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shazar and Rejim Melech to them, uh, and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So these people from Bethel send some guys to Jerusalem to seek God's favor. So, so far, so good, right? They were asking about a ritual fast. That's what he meant by weeping and abstaining. It was a time to mourn and to fast. So everything looks up to par and up to speed, but focus on the tagline here, as I've done for so many years. This is a habit, but is it for God's glory or is it for man's glory? So let's see God's response in verses 4 through 7. So as we continue our story, it says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me and said, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these seventy years, that would be the time they were in captivity, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities all around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So God's response is twofold here. It's, what's your motivation? He's asking, were you doing this for me or were you doing this for you? Were you doing this out of obligation? Yes, you abstained, and yes, you wept for these 70 years in captivity, but were you doing that out of a ritual, or were you doing that out of love? Because when you ate and you drank, it was for yourself, but when you mourned, it was for me. So hang in there, and we'll connect that thought. But number two is, is this not what they have always been asked of? God is saying, is this not what we have always asked of you? 
So here is where the rubber meets the road. God doesn't want obedience for obedience's sake. Now, I want to be clear on that. God wants and demands our obedience, but he does not want obedience for obedience's sake. God wants loving obedience. What is that? That is obedience that results from a deep love of God, not a mere ritual. They may fast for God, but they eat after the fast for themselves. The joy of eating after the fast should be also for the glory of God as much as as the fast. So actually in chapter 8, verses 19, uh, Zechariah actually connects these thoughts. He says uh, that the the people who truly fast for God and they weep for God, they also eat for the Lord. And they do so in seasons of joy, gladness, and with a cheerful feast. So that is what it looks like when it is done rightly. But the ritual must be done. So understand, the ritual must be done out of love, leading to a faithful life. Disobedience leads to faithful living. So God's answer to these guys who come seeking his favor is this. If I were to put it down in in the Charles translation here, it says... To the answer of should we weep in the fifth month as we have done for so many years yes but do so out of love for me not simply out of obligation of habit and as we continue with that thought verses 8 through 10 will show us what a community a faithful community looks like so let's dive into 8 through 10 here 8 through 10 says this And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against the other in his heart. This is what it looks like when the people of God live in obedience to God out of a true heart and true obedience. It creates a godly, faithful community. Now we want to contrast that with verses 11 through 14. I'm not going to read all of those verses, but I do want to read verse 11 because we have a but. And when we have the word but, we need to focus in on the contrast. So we have faithful community. Now here's the but. And contrasted that, they refuse that they would be the ancestors of, of Israel, of Judah. Those who had been uh, taken into captivity, the ones who had resulted because of their unfaithfulness, it resulted in captivity. They refused to pay attention and turned to a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears so that they might not hear. And he continues on with their disobedience. But the theme of those verses, they were not a faithful community. They did the opposite of listening to God. They didn't do what was right in God's sight. They didn't love their neighbors. They oppressed instead of freed. So notice the contrast there. A faithful community contrasted with the former who ignored God's call to loving obedience. So from verses 11 through 14, we get the warning. There's a warning of the cost of disobedience. Obey God out of love. Now, what we need to do is we read that and we go, that's great in their context, but what does that mean for us today? We need to put that in 21st century language and meaning. So it would mean this. Go to church out of love for God and your spiritual family. Live Monday through Saturday in the faithfulness you claim to live in on Sunday. 
So the question that comes out of this is, are we seven-day-a-week followers of Jesus, or are we just Sunday Christians? God is clear here that nothing good awaits those who are the one-day-a-week Christians. Their lives lead to ruin, and their lives lead to ruin because while they do the ritual, while they obey in certain things like going to church, for instance, so if we were to put that in today's context, it'd be the person that goes to church because that's what they're supposed to do. That's what God asks of them is to go to church. But Monday through Saturday, they, they live their life for themselves. It is devoid of any idea or any connection to God. And what he's saying here is God desires seven-day-a-week Christians, Christians who go out of, go to church because they love God. They obey God because they love Him, and it leads to faithful living. It leads to a life that is longing after following the gospel and living the gospel out in the community. That is the people that God desires, and He gives a dire warning to those who don't. Their lives lead to ruin. So following the warning here is the promise of restoration in chapter 8. So we come off this warning, we now dip into chapter 8 where God calls his people to faithfulness. He reminds them the result of living unfaithful. But what is the result of faithfulness? So we've asked several questions. What does loving obedience look like? Or what does obedience to God look like? We've asked what does that uh, look like in today's time? Now we ask this question. We ask what is the result of this? What is the result of being faithful? We, we see the result of being unfaithful. What is the result of faithfulness? And the answer is this, the restoration of our relationship with God and our citizenship in God's people, just to name a few. So what I want to do here is survey what a restored community living in faithfulness looks like, what a restored and faithful church in today's time looks like. Well, one it's God's pursuit. And we see this in verse 1 of chapter 8 where it says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. It's the idea that God is pursuing them. He's jealous for them. He wants them. And I just want you to take a moment and marvel at that thought that God is pursuing us. That God from heaven sent Christ, took on human flesh to pursue us to redeem us, to buy us back with his blood. Never get past that. I, I, I worry sometimes when people talk about moving past the gospel. I, I just don't think, I've been a Christian a long time, and I can never move past the gospel. I can never move past the wonder and awe of the fact that God loved me so much. He pursued me. Marvel at that. Even today, take a moment just thank God for that. That he is jealous for his people. He is jealous for us. Another thing that we see is there is the presence of God in our lives and our churches. We see this in verse number 3, where he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city in the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. It's the idea that he says, I will dwell among my people. There is the presence of God in our lives and in our churches. We see that also in the same verse, God supplies his faithfulness to us. Another promise that we have is promises of a peaceful future. And I get this in verses four through six. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff because of their great age. 
and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of these people in those days. Should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. So what is he saying here? He, he's looking forward to this future of restoration where old people are sitting in the streets because they're able to get old. He's looking forward to the day where children are playing in the streets because it's safe and it's peaceful. There's this idea of a peaceful promise in the future. And here I'm going to make a jump into John, John's uh, revelation image of the new Jerusalem. That's what we're longing for, this day where New Jerusalem will be a place of peace, of a promise of future peace and prosperity for God's people like we've never known before. And I'm not talking about material prosperity, but the idea of peace and security in Christ and in the presence of God actively dwelling in the streets. For now, that restored community is a joyful community, the joyful church. We shouldn't be churches that are endowed with the spiritual gift of grumpiness, that's not a real thing. What we should be is a joyful community marked by our joy through hardship because God is good. And we also see here that of God's salvation, and we go down to verse 7 for that, that God saves his people from the oppression of sin. We see family language being employed, that we will be the family, God's family. Let's look at verse 8. This is beautiful. It says, And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I shall be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is a family, God's family. Notice the my family. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And this is a family that is marked by faithfulness and righteousness, which comes from God. So with all these promises in mind, the next question we ask ourselves is, what do we do with all these promises? Zechariah to his people in his day, this is what it all came to. Get to work. We see that in verse 9 and 10. Get to work building the temple. That's what they were there to do, to build the temple. He's encouraging them to restore themselves spiritually, to return to obedience, loving obedience spiritually, to rebuild the temple. But for us today... We're not exempt. We're not building the temple, but we're building the kingdom of God. Get to work building the kingdom of God. He, he says, I will strengthen your hand, that, that we can trust that just as God empowered Judah to rebuild the temple, he will empower us to build his temple, and he's promised to do so through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, there's too much to talk about here, so I'm actually going to skip verses 10 through 19. They're beautiful verses Maybe I'll save them for another day. Um, there's just so much to talk about there. But I want to end with this promise in verse 20 through 23 because it's just beautiful and it's glorious. And it answers this question, where is it all going? So the, the final question that I want to ask here is, where is it all going? So verse 20, let me lock in on it here where it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even from uh, from the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Verse 22, Many peoples and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations and every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 
So we ask the question, where's it all going? And we see that God's end goal, where it all goes, is a faithful global community, and it finds its fulfillment in the nations worshiping God. So too do we find ourselves here today with a call to faithfulness and a vision and a taste of the promises that await us as God's people, both in the here and now and for the future. So may the nations be blessed by our faithfulness as we build the kingdom of God together through loving obedience and faithful living. Thank you for joining me in Rooted Together, and I look forward to continuing through Zechariah next time. I'll see you there. <laughs>